finally got to see X. X. Uh, that one that I was trying to download but couldn't get a good download of, the Thai West. Ah, uh, yes. And then <clears throat> Spooderman. Spooder. Forever Purge. And I just oh. watched Springs last night. You watched Halloween Kills. Oh, oh, I did. Oh, it's brutal, eh? It's it's real bad. I don't think I've yeah. seen a worse movie in a while. I I still say the Rob Zombie Halloween movies are worse. Like, just yeah, I just, I just mean like recently. Mm, the Rob Zombie yeah. ones are fucking bad. <laughs> so bad. Yeah, he makes horrendous. shit movies. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I guess he's got money, so no one can tell him no. But uh, I wish someone did. Yeah, somebody's got to tell him to stop casting his wife in things because she is a an objectively bad actress. <laughs> mm-hmm. Although he is like the actress. the primary employer of like almost all like the the strangest looking men in Hollywood, so mm-hmm. that's that's pretty good. Yeah, He's doing a, a bit of a service. <laughs> I mean, sure. Well, I was thinking that one dude who who looks like he's melting perpetually. Channing Tatum. That's the one. Potato head. <laughs> that's his. That's his. His potato how head. You know, that's his horror name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He looks like he looks like a thumb. He is. He is a thumb. He's a like sentient th- thumb. Or or like if one of those like crazy bones became a real man. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's a good that's a good addition. Yeah, that's actually really good. I'd heard the potato and thumb. I can't before. I can't look at him. Whenever I look at him I get uncomfortable. Not in a good way. Just like Yeah, because he doesn't look like he should be a person. He looks like a golem made out of clay and brought to yeah. life by spiritualism. He's a homunculus. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Channing Tatum. He an seems like a nice baby. man. Maybe. Who knows? All right. Uh, maybe he's a bastard. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. He could be. Let's get going. Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my chocolate factory. And I should warn you that one of us always tells the truth, and one of us always lies. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to Fans Labyrinth, the podcast where we talk about your favorite indie movies and genre films. My name's Joseph, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Des and Lydia. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi, guys. <laughs> we got the jokes. We got the jokes. Oh, my God. We got, we got a pair of funny guys yeah, in the house yeah. today. So yeah. Every time you set us up for that, we we take a swing. I heard Lydia yeah. say tonal hilarious, and I'm like, what? Does that... You just said so hilarious, but for some reason, the way I heard it, I was like, what does tonal, tonal hilarious? hilarious. It's because I'm gay. Yeah, it's just because um, it's my like, it's my. That's probably it. It's <laughs> definitely no, homophobia. It's, just my, it's my like horrible vocal fry. Oh my god. That's all. Vocal fry is cool. As someone without it. <laughs> what? Don't make fun of yourself. That's like ninety percent of my humor. If I don't have that, all I have is like ripping on famous white men, and that gets tired. That's true. Mm. Just like them. Yeah. Oh. Um. Yeah. Such a such a burn. I really dug deep for that one. <laughs> um. It's not. It, you don't have burn to dig for too these deep. millionaires. Yeah. yeah. Um. So everything's still horrible in the world. Mostly same in our lives. Uh, but we've been watching stuff, so that's... Th- Actually, I've been watching that's a lot more true. than usual. Like, 
while I was playing Elder, I don't know, I don't know, I have no idea. Actually, probably our last podcast recording, I wasn't even playing that much Elden Ring yet. But I played Elden Ring like crazy for like almost 300 hours. I know, same you, Des, although maybe your numbers were a little bit lower. Um, Actually, that's a good question. I need to check that now. But that... I don't think I've yeah. caught up to you. I think I'm probably at like 150. Yeah, I finished, <clears throat> I stopped playing around three, three, four weeks ago. And then I just hmm. got on a binge of just watching shit. It's filled that void, you know? Nice. Did you, after you were uh, done playing Dust, did you go on a watching spree, find a new game? How did you fill the void? Can I be honest? Sure. I took a brief hiatus uh, from video games and watching things because I had exams. Mm. And then as soon as exams were done and my hand was strong enough to... Um, oh, for those who didn't know, I had hand surgery carpal tunnel release surgery which went swimmingly uh i'm doing That's well cool. my hand looks like i have a natural web shooter built in That's now true. where the white juice comes out yeah well it's biological i make it myself so i need to expel it also mm. um otherwise my wrists get sore yeah. <laughs> so once my hands were strong enough i jumped right back into elden ring uh, i oh. am i am like i'm like one third of the way through a playthrough where i'm only using bows oh yeah yeah like no one uses bows yeah i I truly hate myself. Yeah. Um, there really be it. <laughs> no, but I, I have been watching things. Uh, I guess I'll bring up like the most, let's say topical, sure. uh, because it only just dropped on streaming services, but I've watched The Batman starring... I did too. Uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson. As well as uh, Zoe Kravitz. Yeah. And somewhere in the backdrop, also The Jesus and... Uh, is it Colin, yes, Colin Farrell? Farrell? Who's the Jesus? Yeah, Colin Farrell. Yeah, uh, the Jesus from the Big Lebowski. Oh, yeah, John Turturro. Yeah, uh, John Turturro. Yeah. Who who also just plays the Jesus in this? Uh, <laughs> he plays Carmine Falcone. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, his street name is the Jesus. Yeah, there's a um, lot of characters. Who else is in this movie? Yeah. Oh, and um, fuck. Uh, the, Andy Serkis. Uh, yeah. I wish there was more of him in it, but we'll get to that in a minute, I guess. Who's the other guy who um? Who's the other villain? It's uh, Paul Dano. Yes. Yeah. Playing. Uh, That's who it Riddler. is. Yeah. He, I liked it. Um, for me, it's like I don't want to like sound too harsh, but for me, it's like kind of middle of the road when it comes to the Batman movies. The the way that I um, I kind of gauge them because there's been so damn many of them at this point is the Batman movies that have more villains typically for me sit on the low end, and the ones that have singular or at least like a team of villains is usually on the higher end. And this one, unfortunately, is on the lower end because if they didn't include Colin Farrell's character, the Penguin, you would have had a much more concise and watchable movie because three hours, I'm going to go out there. I'm sure this is not controversial. I'm going to go out there and say three hours is not the length of a movie I want to see. <laughs> and it, and it, this movie could have been at least two, like could have been an hour shorter and would have been way better for Although, it. Although, to be uh, fair. Really cool, though. I, I'm not sure which... Batman movies you're thinking of, but almost every single Batman movie has double villains. Like, double villains is, is, is standard. Yeah, I think the way that they typically pull it off is, like, there's usually, like, a, and you thought this was the villain, but the real villain was this guy. And that's yeah. that's kind of all of them, right? Like, no. Batman Begins, it's like, it's gonna be Scarecrow, yeah. and then in the end it's like, no, it's Ra's al Ghul. And then Dark Knight is like, you think it's a Joker, but in truth it's actually Harvey Dent. But, and then uh, yeah. this one it's like, you think it's gonna be the Penguin, and Carm... No, okay, sorry. it is the Joker, though. Like, it is the Joker and Harvey Dent is also there. That's fair. Okay, so maybe I'll flip yeah. that 
and then it's Bane. Yeah, same and... with the original ones too. I thought there was a second one before you have the twist at the end of uh, Dark Knight Rises, but maybe there isn't a second one. No, no, no. It's just the, Catwoman. The, the I villain guess. is a. Uh... Yeah, and she helps yeah, Batman. The, the usual. Yeah. There's no name um, for her role. She because she always plays this very interesting. She's not really like a rival antihero. She's not like you know, she's she's yeah, kind of between like a Bond girl and a villain and a rival. I think they leaned into Bond girl for that one, which kind of sucks yeah. because like Anne Hathaway's wasted on a role like that, especially in a movie that's like that was so tone deaf at the time. Um, I still think this was really good. I like for me, this is like a six or a seven. So like on the higher like higher end, um, but like I, I immediately dock two points for being three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I I will agree that like the length of it is burdensome at times, especially when you start getting to the end, because like it truly does have yeah, the many like the four endings. Yeah. yeah, it it has like the the return of the king thing where it's like that's what I caught, said. We caught the yeah you did actually yeah we caught the Riddler and then after that it's like. There's still crime. Who's the next bad guy? And then yeah. they, it goes to sh- at the end. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it, but yeah, it just like it seems to spiral. Although it really does have like, I feel like it establishes a better tone than a lot of the Batman yeah. movies have historically, um, which is which is like phenomenal. Uh, and the use of I think it's Chicago as Gotham was like really yeah. effective, and Pattinson does really well. Uh, he's he's yeah, maybe he not a great uh, Bruce Wayne. But I think he's a great Batman. I guess yeah, actually, I thought it was you know cool what? to see I, Batman in a different flavor. He was much more has emotions. <laughs> he was he was young, which which felt like, really good for yeah, his, that character. He like, like he felt kind of unhinged. He had a young person stoicism. It's like so he's, he's not like emo in the sense of like being like all like he's not actively showing his emotions all the time. But you can tell in moments that the reason it's so clear what his motivations are for doing the things he's doing in the movies. Whereas a lot of them, it's just like, it's Christian Bale in a power fantasy. It's, <laughs> you know, it's what's his name in a power it, fantasy. It's his character right? from it's American like they Psycho. Just, they yeah. don't, they, they aren't, to me, they aren't like real people like in the, 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 no. the those Batmans. Whereas like, he felt like a pretty real person. I'm not sure it's Batman, <laughs> but he, or so I'm not sure it's Bruce Wayne as the comics portray him or whatever. But I, I, I appreciated a character I could actually, understand a bit more yeah i think the way that i i would class him is like he he's he's a young batman so he's like kind of vengeful kind of resentful kind of brooding but he's not emo he's like he's a little a step further than that in maturity he's goth this is goth batman because uh, he's got a lot of that down but like he's the crow he, he, well he's super <laughs> like he's super unhinged in it right there's like entire scenes where it's like where he's like straight up saying to, to to Alfred, where he's just like, I don't care about my parents' legacy and about the money and about philanthropy. I need to go kick people in the teeth. And then there's a scene where he's like trying to do detective work and he just like moves all the furniture out of a room and starts like spray painting the floor in his mansion. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, this is this is like unhinged year two goth Batman still just barely coping with his parents' death. Uh, it's really cool the way that they assembled it. It's just, yeah, for me, it's just way too long. Yeah. I really like the beginning. I was, I like, everything we just said, like, the vibe, the feeling of Gotham, that's all great. I think where where I did fall out was that it's not just the length, but, but by the end, like, I was just like, the conspiracy and what it was, it's too obvious from the beginning. Like, once the Riddler starts doing stuff, it's like, 
at least yeah. in terms of like what meaning you're supposed to pull out from the movie after, like what you're supposed to learn about Gotham as a city or people or whatever is so obvious by the end. It's like, yeah, there's corruption in the ranks. It's like, okay, I get there is. Okay. Yeah. Maybe, whatever. There's mm, no, I don't need to spoil it, but yeah, but there's, there's one more thing that has to do more with Bruce Wayne's own life that I think is a good twist to the corruption. But Besides that, I thought everything else was kind of like, meh. That was, yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. That was a really cool addition to the mythos because they, they added stuff that, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I like some of the additions they made. Yeah, but but you're right. Yeah, there, there there is like a bit of magical thinking at some point where it's like, how did this many people collaborate on one thing and no one got caught, no one backed out, no one ratted? There's a, there's a couple moments that like, are too convenient for too convenient for what what they're trying to pull off but overall i think i think where the movie shines is like it's aesthetic it nails and a lot of the choices for actors are great andy circus phenomenal alfred i i forget the actor's name um uh he plays uh bernard in westworld um he plays yeah, and he's commissioner in gordon in this he's, great. he's always great yeah and he's phenomenal as commissioner gordon him, him, and Batman have a have maybe the best relationship of any Batman and Gordon in any of the movies. I think. I just love how like they're both like honestly they're both terrible detectives. Mm-hmm. It's like that yep. scene with the mistranslation of Spanish. It's like come on. Oh yeah, it's like again, it's the magical thinking of like you, you've got we figured got contact, it out. Le- you've got contact lenses with cameras, but neither of you thought. Google Translate. Yeah, and you don't have that built in? Come on. Yeah, what um, the fuck? Zoe Kravitz plays an interesting role in the movie. It's one of the, it's like a role that I'm not certain was like needed, but it's one because like because I don't think I think it contributed to the plot not really having a major catharsis and also there being like a two piece ending. But I think her addition helped the tone and also uh was a good foil to to Batman's like hyper fascist, hyper surveillance attitude towards like the streets it made me realize too like and this is true of a lot of batman movies like the weird type of sexual tension with the like female leads it's like because it's like he doesn't really have sexual tension with her even though she's clearly like the hottest actress on the planet who was cast for this and so it's just like it's so weird he's like i have a job to do you have, you have your thing you know it's just like he's just it's too busy too busy yeah. to even rem- like stare two seconds too long at zoe kravitz in this thing and like because they do the moments where he yeah she gets she yeah gets they the almost exist separate from there's each a other. moment where he's like saying he's like look into my eyes or whatever she's like oh okay yeah and then he's just like okay the con oh wow <laughs> Okay, sure. I'm like I I enjoyed that, but it's like it's yeah. tr- it's almost like Doctor Who energy. Like you're not allowed to you're not allowed to touch the companions. Like, yeah, yeah. Duty is it's too important funny. for I don't know. partnership. I I think I think it's hilarious because it because it, I think it really highlights how much of Bruce Wayne's like social life he had to throw out to do this. Where he's just like he's probably feeling something, but he's just like I don't know how to twiddling his thumbs like i don't really know how to do this talk to a lady <laughs> my improvement for you know the you know the baddies he fights right at the beginning in the subway and there's the one 
he should have just picked up that guy and made that yeah, guy the people Robin who are, which, the beginning of the movie. Yeah, they're playing the knockout game. You're fighting crime with me now, buddy. Yeah. You know what this movie like really made me Why want? Why do we never get a Robin? You know? I want I wanted him to find I Well, I was gonna say because I want it's I want really a Batman. Hard not to make it seem homoerotic. Where's the problem? Well there and that that's what I was about to say. That's what I was about to say is like I want a Batman movie with this tone, except while he's out there punching bad guys, another dude shows up in leather who says he's vengeance and punches guys, and then they like they do the Catwoman Batman thing, except then they just have like a full on <laughs> hang dong hardcore sex scene. Yeah. Well, like in every movie, it's like it's like Batman brutalizes a, a bad guy and then finds like a child and adopts him, and he's like, "I'll just brainwash you." Right. I want Batman and Robin to be separate adults who also so you, love you punching want it to be bad Catwoman, guys, but and then fuck it's Batman. That's the Bat Batman Boy. I want. Or Robin. <laughs> I don't know. How- Took me, yeah. Night, I mean, but Nightwing was Nightwing? Uh, Robin first, right? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was. Yeah, I want. Nightwing I'm, I'm is saying Dick Grayson. Like, yeah, I'm saying like there's a yeah, different guy out there like who already like decided he's Robin. Nightwing was trained up um, and, as amongst many of, uh, yeah, gr- yeah, groomed amongst many of Batman. He was groomed. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you can't. That's that's the problem with the like yeah. innate homoeroticism of Batman yeah. and Robin is the fact that like he gets yeah. Robin at the tender age of like twelve. Yeah, and they trauma bond. No, I'm ta- I'm yeah. talking like I'm talking the Catwoman Batman Catwoman. tension, Catwoman. But like just two hot dudes yeah. who wear leather, uh, and cannot talk about their feelings. Love it. Yeah. Want it? Give me three hours of that. Uh. <laughs> That'll be the next. Batman I mean, that just sounds like a gay BDSM porn. Yeah, I mean, it definitely. Exists. That's what this movie was, <laughs> and it was awesome. It definitely exists but, in the dark yeah. web. Ooh. Oh yeah. No, thank like, you. Honestly, probably on the regular web. Yeah. I just, I want, I want a filmmaker to not be a coward. I want them to just be like, yeah, like lean into the homoeroticism. <laughs> so that's what, that's my feelings about Batman. Lydia. Jess just wants Batman leather daddies. Yeah. Just psychoanalyze me. It's fine. Lydia, do you watch anything, uh, <laughs> anything good? Other than the Batman. Oh, right. Cause we cut that um, episode. I guess you never did talk about it. Yeah. That's okay. I don't need to talk about it. That was it. a while ago, yeah. Because you saw it in theater. You saw it when it was like, Good. still like, Joseph and I had to probably wait till it was like, okay, well, this now was it's one online. Of the it's been 45 days. This have like ever seen. It was like out of theaters and on streaming within like two weeks. Really? I thought it was like a, I thought it was like 30 full days. I mean, maybe, yeah, I mean, at most, but, yeah. hmm. which is still really fast to go to actual not paid streaming. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's not standard. Times are weird. Um, I finally watched X by Ty West. What's that? Ty West movie. I don't think I know it's that. It's a new horror movie. It's a new horror movie by Ty West. Um, it got a limited theatrical release and then was available for rental. So I rented it the other night um, and watched it with friends. Um, but it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek homage to 1970s slasher films. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Starring Mia Goth and Jenna Ortega. Both Oh wow. Huge right now. Yeah, how'd I not see this? Yeah. And it is about a group of young adults making a porno film out in like the rural Texas kind of area. Ah. 
and then they get picked off one by one. Oh shit. That's fucking So they <laughs> really lean into like the puritanical like for, uh Jason Voorhees thing. Uh it's a little more Texas chainsaw-y at times. Okay. Um with like a very strange psychological almost Ari Aster-esque element mm-hmm. to parts of it about like I'm into youth that. and yeah. uh, beauty and right like loss of those things over time and stuff. I, you have uh, you have piqued my interest. Mm. Weird. How'd you like it? Yeah, it's very weird. I loved it. It's it is a bit of a slow burn. It takes some mm. time to to get to like you're going into it for like massive kills. It's it's not quite that. Type of movie like you do get some good like really gory practical effects moments but it is a slower burn like it's somewhere in between the 70s slasher films that we know and love and like the a24 robert eggers ari aster horror films of today mm-hmm. sit somewhere Weird. in the middle aesthetically very strange vibes but really really fun awesome soundtrack really well acted Really fantastic practical special effects. Do they? Do, uh, this is kind of playing. Uh, maybe maybe the wrong question to ask, but do they manage to stick the ending? Because that's a, that. Those are some heavy themes to be playing on, and like they've clearly set up the plot in such a way where it's like, yeah, like we're going to tackle these directly, even with a knife. But like the catharsis of that is what I'm interested in. Like, do they do they manage to like kind of finish their statement by the end of it? I think so. Yeah, I think there's some things that are left a little bit to the audience to sort of dissect and decipher on your own. Um, And elements of it are a little bit more overt, but the ending is great. Like it's a really solid climax. You get not to give too much away, but it is a slasher film. So you get the catharsis of your final girl um, and your final girl moment, which is what most people want out of a slasher film while still getting some of those um, heavier tonal themes of like, age and beauty and time interesting nice when yeah. where did you see this one so i rented it, it um i you can rent it through apple that's the only place i've been able to find it for rental um in gotcha. canada so if you want to watch it it is 15 dollars to rent <laughs> oh my god whoa yeah um but Fuck. it's it's they because it was a limited it, it's because it was a limited theatrical release and then went to rental only um, so that's why it's so expensive, but I really, really wanted to see it. And it mostly only did like festival runs and then a few theaters. So it's almost impossible to get like a downloaded version of it. So I just shelled out the 15 bucks and rented it. Yeah. Cause you hunted for this one. Mm-hmm. Jesus. That's yeah, uh, so that's brutal. I figured maybe this is, it. um, maybe this is the new trend of like how they recoup, co- recoup costs on like mm-hmm. movies that didn't bang out in the theaters. Like, I know the Northman is like a movie I'm looking forward to, but it mm-hmm. it's like it has not reclaimed even a fraction of what it needs to to break even. I've I've heard a lot of people say that one is really worth watching in theaters too. That's very cinematic. Yeah, but like you just don't believe in that. My underwear, my couch. I know. You know, I, feel, I felt that way very much after seeing the Batman. I was like, no, yeah, the theaters are <laughs> not for me anymore. Yeah. I, I I was the same for Dune. I watched it in a basement with like three other people, and I was like, "Man, I'm glad I'm not 
in a theater surrounded by like weird smelly oh people uh and like sticky floors it wasn't even <laughs> honestly it wasn't even that i was fine with other people being there um there was a couple like funny moments in the theater like when um through the movie in with the batman um batman constantly says i am vengeance mm-hmm. <laughs> that's his like thing um but there's yeah. a moment where i think riddler says something similar about being yeah. vengeance and there were these two guys sitting right in front of us and the one did like the batman voice and it was like he stole my line <laughs> it's so stupid so simple so fucking funny because yeah. it was like just that's this fair. like climactic like really intense moment he stole my line <laughs> so, so fucking dumb um so like moments like that are great for theaters and i feel like horror movies especially there's something like really special about seeing them in theaters there's like a real vibe if it's like a good energy in the theater you've got good people in there it's a lot of fun um but christ sitting in those uncomfortable ass chairs for three fucking hours Mm -hmm. at this point in my life you could not pay me yeah i've got an ergonomic desk chair that's where i want to be I want to be on my couch yeah you know i want some couch cuddles <laughs> with ba- with batman yeah with batman specific in well, the suit be, though only in the suit. Be emotionally distant uh yeah. yeah i think for me for movies in particular i don't really have a great like couch i mean we have a couch and whatnot but it's like i don't really watch a movie alone on the couch here or whatever so it's like i often just watch movies in my room and my problem is I can watch a lot of TV shows because I'll do other stuff on my computer while watching a TV show and usually be quite casual. But it's like it that little bit of activity keeps me like, OK, but if I'm if I know I want to totally relax while watching something like, yeah, I don't have a great spot to do it here. So theaters actually give me that like I get to sit down and be totally concentrated on a movie. The Batman. Yeah, I just That's paused fair. constantly and I just I, it, I did it in like six sittings. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I watched a shit ton of stuff, but I, okay. So I do have one thought of a couple that I do want to actually talk about. So I've been on an anime kick recently. I actually re-got my subscription to Crunchyroll and which I haven't done in a while. And the one I finished recently was, uh, this big, I'm, I'm trying to think of like the audience knows these terms. I'm just going to pretend, you know, something about anime, a big shonen anime called Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, shonen for the for the audience are the like the the ones that are like combat heavy typically like hero's journey yeah, like, like dragon ball dragon z, z kind of naruto thing. if you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. and yeah jujutsu kaisen it's a it's a very bleach style one so it's about like people who uh fight what they're what are called curses so like spirits that have manifested in the world by bad energy building up in different uh ways and so i was so upset at how it started because it's a main character who's crazy overpowered at the beginning. He is setting world records when it comes to his school's track and field day. That's how the episode starts. Mm. So he's doing like shot put and just blasting out the world record of shot put things. And everyone's like, that's interesting. <laughs> and he's so he's just like an absurd, like superstar <laughs> athlete for no reason. So then a curse appears at his school. He, his friend is like, stay back, you know, I'm, I'm a curse deal with with what's called a jujutsu um, sorcerer. So he's going to go deal with the curse. He's fighting, he's having trouble, right? And then main character just busts through a window and just, like, 
punches the thing in the face. And it's just like, <laughs> you've never seen these fucking things in your life. And you're just like, it's mm. cool, man. It's cool. I got this. Trained, trained. He's got the jock uh, brain. Jujutsu user can't can't deal with it. So I was just like, what is this? Like, what are we getting into? Right? That sounds really charming. Yeah. So it took me eight episodes. So while he was sort of like at the beginning, he has this thing. He has a classic like. Basically, he gets the powers of the the greatest evilest curse of all time within him. This is a very classic thing in Shonen, where it's like the main character somehow is simultaneously the goodest good boy and also has the demonest demon within him for God knows what oh, reason. Of course. So exactly the same here. He has the demon of all demons, the curse, king of curses within him. Um, but he can magically control him. Normally, someone would just be taken over and would have to be put down if something like that happens. But he can control him. And since it's the worst demon ever, it's good. Like, he, they're happy that they have him controlling this guy. So it starts off and it's just like, I don't know, kind of it's not piddling like it's very fast paced but it's too normal for me i guess at the beginning and didn't have like a strong heart gotcha yeah, but by episode eight it didn't have like a hard I sell i super wanted to drop it because what it got to was there wasn't uh, there's a soup like so main character is overpowered but in the kind of like it's silly that he didn't know about these things and he punched one in the face that was like a high level demon mm-hmm. and it, it's just like it's just silliness why is a normal human doing that but then in the demons or like the the curse fighter school the jujutsu sorcerers there is like the top top guy and he's like their mentor like the main character team's mentor so he comes in and at episode eight he's just fighting some guy who's like the uh, he's the curse of all volcanoes basically so he's like the power of all volcano kills of all time or whatever people's fear of volcanoes so he's just like super (laughs) super powerful because he's like you know he's all the energy of all the that stuff Mm -hmm. so he's there and he's he's super overpowered and of course the one from our team he has the most outrageous overpowered like bullshit things where he he's he's (laughs) he's pulling off his like keeps his power contained where he pulls off his blindfold pulls out his eye powers and he's like you know my my thing is i you know turn on the infinite void of of sensory overload so like you're both in a full <laughs> infinite void of nothingness and you feel more than all any human could possibly withstand all at the same time and it's just like sure mm-hmm. you know whatever man like you're just doing your thing okay and i realized it was so well animated so over the top and i'm like this is what the show has to offer right these overpowered stupid characters like no emotional core i was like this is yeah. so stupid i'm over it literally the next that's episode, a shame i i took i took a break from the show for like three days decided to randomly i was bored one day because i wasn't doing much pick up episode nine next is that it was like a three or four episode arc emotional like amazingness they introduced a new character who was phenomenal i was like this oh show feels God. like so beautiful all the setup that i didn't even know they were doing is paying off now and i'm like oh my god and basically it just it goes <laughs> like sprinting the rest of the way for the 24 episodes that's out so far and i loved every second of the rest of it i was like wow that it just blew my mind how much like once it had an emotional core the rest i knew was there like it had all the like its production values were were high its animation was beautiful it was all there the powers were really cool but i was like it's just the idea like the reasons they were doing all that felt so tropey and just power fantasy garbage to yeah. me without any sense of of a care for the characters then they started caring about the characters and i was like oh my god and every character like one character jumps in 
I think this was before episode nine. And he's like, he meets the main character and he's like, what type of woman are you into? If you don't answer, then I don't like, I don't fucking like you. And it's like anime, <laughs> anime. And he meant like, what type of woman? He's like, do you like boobs or asses? Like basically was the, the question oh he was asking. Oh my God. And the main character's like, why would I answer that? Like, that's crazy. Like I'm a more respectable guy. And he just like punched them in the face. Like you don't answer me. I don't respect you. And it's like anime. Fuck. Why do you do these things? That character, who obviously yeah. I hated and thought was stupid, becomes so cool later on in the show. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, he was just, he's just amazing. He becomes this like awesome mentor and he's like training the main character while teaching him emotional lessons about like how to become friends and how like best friendships and mentorships can be so meaningful, not just girls and all this stuff. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this man, this man is so cool. <laughs> yeah the show the show's a, a thrill ride and if and if you like demon slayer one of the other big shonen shows right now like it's great like usually a lot of these shonens are not very good and there's been a couple great ones recently so that was super charmed and now i'm just like i'm looking for for more anime fixes like you're blitzed yeah, up i'm like i'm let's do it let's find some find some more good stuff so were you saying that that Eight of twenty-four episodes were set up, or is it there? Thirty-two. It wasn't episodes just set up; like total. it was very fast-paced. Had things. I just found that the I didn't understand the emotional core of the characters. I really felt it was just straightforward pan, power fantasy bullshit, and like they just liked mm-hmm. fights and stuff like that. But they were doing a lot of setup while doing that. Oh, but it was like much more subtle than the very you know on the nose punchy stuff. Yeah. So then once they introduced a character, I had an emotional connection to in the next arc. I was like, oh my god, and that character's emotional connection. I guess it's basically this guy who was uh, he's very, very he's he's being beat up by bullies and all this stuff to the point where like he has like emo bangs. And you see mm-hmm. when a teacher like is not caring about him, he's like really angry at this teacher later. And then he reveals his bangs. And underneath you see that on his forehead is cigarette burns that the bullies had done to him. And so it's like uh, a really okay, fucked yeah. up storyline about his thing. But of course, him having all this done to him he manifests a curse from that or like he gets wrapped up with the villains basically and the villains sort of teach him that he can use that energy to do bad things and then it becomes this will he choose good or will he choose evil thing and in a way you're you understand why he goes to the villains and why he believes the villains are good people because the villains tell him Mm -hmm. it's like you can use all this damage that's been done to you and do what you want with it like the bullies don't deserve your mercy basically and it's just like it's a really cool emotional arc about um how how his storyline unfolds and then he gets wrapped up with the main characters who are you see then the main character is super nice to him and kind and says like there's another way like you shouldn't take all this energy and just like fight the bullies or whatever like like they're bad people and they should need to be punished but like you can use what you still have to to do good in the world sort of thing and which is classic in a Mm -hmm. way but it's so well done here. Like it just, you really feel it. Yeah. Well, it's classic because it works, right? I, um, I, I love that the, the description you gave at the start when you were still watching the first eight episodes where you, uh, like, you basically described to me what I would like in my brain as someone who hasn't watched a lot of anime. I was like, oh, it's one punch man, except like, it's like, it's like a kid with like jock brain, like stereotypical jock brain where he's like, oh yeah, there's a bad guy. I'll just, I'll just yep. hit it. Um, except, except I guess with one punch man, as far as I watched, there wasn't really any kind of narrative or, or like emotional core. It was just like, yeah, like you want to see 
the funny guy punch the the bad guys. This sounds like it's like it actually does. I think try you're the to first person I've ever that. talked to who doesn't like One Punch Man. Everyone fucking loves One Punch Man. I don't. No, like I didn't it. say I didn't like it. It's very well I, done. I didn't say I didn't like it. Yeah, it's, it's one of those shows I don't understand yeah. the emotional core of, and I don't care to. I don't think. Well, okay. I, I I'll say I appreciate it because it because I uh as a non anime guy, uh, I thought it was like kind of funny and cute. Uh, but yeah, like I stopped watching i think after i think i watched one episode of season two and i was like i was like cool like that was fun i'm gonna watch something i, I just never got back to it i fell off immediately because there's there were no hooks and this sounds like this sounds like something i could sit down with my with my spouse uh who, my spouse is a huge dragon ball z i guess all the dragon ball if you property, like uh, uh fans yeah the aesthetic is very like supernaturally too so like the powers and all stuff are all mm-hmm. rooted in like supernatural type tropes and stuff like that so like one of the characters summons like shadow puppets and another character uses um what's it called uh voodoo like voodoo like she she uses like dolls and stuff like that and like basically once the once the villain or the curse loses blood or an object she can she grabs their like finger or their or their blood or whatever and puts it into a voodoo doll and just starts torturing them (laughs) she's just like that's her thing so whenever they're escaping, she they they always just call her up. They're like, "Teammate, come over!" And she's like, "You got you got a limb?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And she's like, yeah, <laughs> she just gets so excited and starts just fucking like just horribly torturing them. And it's like okay. I like that. That's kind of the yeah. and all the, the freedom that anime nuts. gets to they're have. All psychopaths, like in like a fun, charming mm. way. Like they're all just they love their like like destructive tendencies. <sighs> so funny. That's fun. um but yeah so that that's been one of my i actually haven't watched too much more anime since then but um yeah i'm I'm looking for the next the next one i'm gonna get into that's what i was gonna say this one's this sounds like it kind of came out of nowhere for you it like i don't remember the last time you you told us about an anime you were on yeah i do watch a little bit of stuff with my roommates and, and stuff like that but often i only get through like i i dropped two or three recently so i just i never talked about them because it's just like i watched three episodes and i'm like yeah, like guys, I'm I'm not into this. That's fair. But yeah, that was a it was a, so that that was a cool change of pace for me, and I'm I'm hoping, you know, if people ever actually reply to these, I would ask if anyone has any anime recommendations, <laughs> send them my way. Hell yeah. But, um, <laughs> well, maybe that's maybe that's the crowd we're not we're not we're not speaking to often enough. Uh, but even yeah, even if you are hearing this a year later, I'm always down to watch more anime. I've been watching anime for like 15 years. That's the first thing I knew about you. Yeah. I um I spent my last little while not watching too many things, but I did actually manage to convince to to watch one of my recommendations, and it was a show called um I spoke about I think on my very the first episode I did with you guys uh, it was called Nirvana the Band the yes. show yes and now that I've convinced uh I've convinced two my two my buddies to watch it and they fucking fell in love immediately nice. and I think I think I realized why. It's a hard thing to recommend. Like, like the show's the show inherently doesn't have like a an overarching plot. Um, the show is is it's it's the experience, and if the experience has no um, nostalgic or like I'll say nostalgic ties to your life, it's just gonna you're gonna be like this is stupid. But like if you are roughly thirty ish years old and like grew up consuming media still love your movies and your classics and and your video games and your music and all that kind of stuff this is this show is like a love letter to 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 you so i was watching it with them and i realized that it's canadiana 
Like, it doesn't mean to be, but it is it is inherently Canadiana in a way that is not uh, hokey or, like, played for, for like, gags. It, it, it follows two guys. It takes place in Toronto. And, like, it's the, the, the whole premise. Every episode has the same premise. They're trying to book a show at the Toronto restaurant called The Rivoli. Except neither of them are clever enough to just pick up the phone, call them, and book a show. They need they they great create plans. So the first episode is them. They call it up, and the book they speak to the booking manager, and he's like he's like I I didn't get a package from you guys. I have no evidence you guys are a band. Like I need I need you guys to give me like a package with like a demo and pictures. And they're like, and so they hang up. They're like, what the hell's band evidence? They don't know what that is. So they go out and they go to Sears. <laughs> Canadians will know what I'm saying and they get some like band photos taken but in an effort to look cool one of the main characters uh, he wears leather pants and when he kneels down to take the picture his dick falls out uh, the pants rip and so the photo they end up uh, taking they go to give it to the to the Rivoli uh, but the, they give it to a server and the server just like throws it out so what they do is they print it on a on, like a huge like like 50 foot banner and they hang it from the apartments across the street from the Rivoli not knowing that the guy's dick is out and so the whole episode is them trying to cover up his dick that, from the banner that we're representing Canada so, so they, well here yeah so like so it's so it's not like Canadiana like it's like like ah maple syrup beavers kind of thing and the and Quebec it's just like it's in Canada and that whole episode is rife with references to stuff that like we would have grown up in in our age group so like the intro of the episode is a is an homage to Jurassic Park, where they're in a band. One guy does like stand up or improv, and one dude is on piano, and he's like playing the Jurassic Park theme, and they're relating their live show to the movie. And every episode is full of those. So like each episode's intro is a parody of a major movie. So the next the next episode is a parody of Hackers. Nice. The, movie, the episode after oh, that is God, I love uh, is a parody of Crank. Yeah. Yes, um. Uh, the episode after that is a parody of um. Home Alone. So the whole episode structure is uh, edited to basically follow the plot of Home Alone with these two adult men while they're completely ripping off like the soundtracks, the shots, sometimes calling out directly what they're referencing. It is, it's dense. It's Didn't, dense and referential. Sorry, this is just a, a thought to me. Didn't we find out, uh, Lydia, if you remember this, um, that the guy, main character of Hackers main guy character was he in elementary the sherlock show or was he in something else too is that matthew lillard no not matthew lillard no matthew lillard's not the main guy he has like three names or something oh god yeah it's like john johnny johnny something hold on oh my i thought that was so wild because i didn't wreck because he's like much older by the time he gets into elementary but i was like johnny lee miller johnny lee miller and when i saw him in there i was like oh my god what a cool flashback thing same as seeing james uh vanderbeek in the B word in apartment uh, 23. I thought that was funny. Mm. Mm, yeah. So Johnny Lee Miller, let's see. He's in The Crown this season, apparently. Oh. Uh, yep, Elementary. He was Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. I mean, he's he's good in it, but he's just, it, like, if you're not looking for it, it would be hard to, because he's just playing a totally different person. I mean, he's like an, a full adult by that point. Mm-hmm. Losing his hair. Gracefully. He's all, but he's all snarky in it. He's fun. He's fun. I mean, obviously, actually, Lucy Lou, though, is the real show. He's just the side character. Yeah. Wouldn't it be such a bummer to audition for a Sherlock Holmes television show and then get the role of Sherlock Holmes and find out that you're not the main character? Ah, <laughs> oh, Lucy Lou's on this. 
God damn it. Like, wouldn't that no, just but like, their relationship hurt you? is amazing and it's it's such good energy. I that's know. That's how I felt like, about uh sorry, you no, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I was gonna say that's how I felt about Benedict Cumberbatch and Sherlock. I thought he was playing second banana to uh to his Watson. Really? I didn't, was like, I, I honestly don't like um that actor that much. I didn't like the Watson in oh, that very much. I love Benedict. Martin Freeman. Yeah. I didn't like him. So. I thought he did. I think he Martin steals the show. Yeah, I thought he did an amazing job in the startup, but that's another show I couldn't finish because even though his character was really well acted, he's psychotic. It's very hard to watch him. He's like really evil. Yeah. I also, we watched that together, yeah. right? When you were staying with me and then we never. That is some it. of the most intense acting like I've ever seen. It is so hard yeah. to watch. He's really good in it though. Yeah. He deserves whatever you get for doing good in television. An Emmy. Emmy. Golden Globe. I don't know. I don't know what they're called. Well, yeah. We, yeah, we review Not television shows for a living. I don't know what people are ever awarded for for these things. <laughs> Emmys and Golden Globes. Yeah. I know, but I, I, I'm, I, I know, of course, but it's like I've never watched them in my life. I have no idea who's won an Emmy ever. Like, it's just, they're, mm. they're just irrelevant. Poor Emmy winners. Yeah. <laughs> and it's confusing because those are the same... No, Grammys. I was supposed to say, I'm like, isn't that the same that's rewarded to singers? <laughs> like her uh, music. I'm dumb. No. <laughs> well, they shouldn't be called such similar things. Emmy and Grammy aren't like that similar. I mean, they rhyme. They just both have M-Y. Oski. Um, the Oskis. <laughs> Oskamies. You, you can't do M-Y to it. There's no There's no way. Oscars is already a nickname. Oh, Oh? The Academy Awards. Yeah, I guess that's true. Oh, I didn't know that. Did like who? Who's Oscar? <laughs> Good question. I don't know. <laughs> Did you want to talk uh, more about Nirvana, the band, the show, the movie, the experience? Oh yeah, I just yeah, I just I I, I keep I'm I'm gonna keep pounding that book. I'm gonna keep proselytizing about them because they actually secretly got greenlit for a season three nice and it's been like four years and no one watch it no one's ever watched this show i promise you there's like one subreddit dedicated to them and it hasn't been active in like nine months but uh the show is super special the, the thing about it that that keeps me re-watching it because it's really digestible is um each of the main characters matt johnson and jay mccarroll play themselves but as fictionalized versions. So while they're filming, much of the footage is improv and you can't always tell when they're in character and when they're not. Mm. Uh, and that's part of the magic of the show is it's all shot kind of guerrilla footage style. So like they're on the streets of Toronto and there are people who play play parts in the story who are not actors or or staff. They're not even in on the joke. So if they get good footage on the street of them with like a weird guy, that becomes part of the plot. And then they rewrite the script to then Wild. work that way. Wild. So, so like the first episode opens and it's Jay and Matt out of character talking about how they're going to introduce the TV show to the audience. And then the show starts and there's like, that happens a couple times. And some of the content of the show is so buck wild and illegal and dangerous that like and also the copyright violations they're just racking up somehow successfully it's it's really impossible to tell where the fiction begins and ends so like the first episode i'm gonna spoil the first episode with the with the penis banner the episode ends with them accidentally lighting it on fire 
it's attached to an apartment building in a major metropolitan city and they got away with this Jesus. uh the season finale of that season is them in the midst of a bank that's being robbed and it is near impossible to tell what is fake and what's real uh it's it's a fucking heart pounder it's amazing wild that yeah sounds so um, chaotic and indie <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's kind of strange because like i say it's canadiana uh because like if you're from canada you're gonna watch this and be like oh my god like that's queen street like i recognize these places i recognize these places that they're doing crimes basically <laughs> uh something they did in season two was so bad that they're in severe legal trouble but somehow that's what i think delayed season three but it's coming amazing i can't spoil but uh yeah it's just so so good uh they have they have a really good lawyer on their side um on their legal team <laughs> you'd hope so um, at this point well well he's he's the one who's like fighting the main fight against like like the really severe uh oppressive copyright laws mm. um i forgot his name but he has his own imdb page because he's worked with a couple shows that like do this kind of stuff and so you'd be surprised what they get away with uh it's really cool nice um if you like movies if you like yourself and you're like 30 ish slap that thing on if you can find it <laughs> yeah where, where do you I'll watch my ramble it? there just on the internet um, yeah so so vice was the company that had produced it in the states right. so if you're in the states uh vice will have it if you're in canada you can actually watch it for free on cbc gem oh, okay yeah season one and two without without dragging on too much longer uh the show is actually a recreation of a student project the show's director and main character matt johnson did in university of the same name uh, and it was a web series back in like 2006 yeah, yeah, when, when the internet was still this. like burgeoning so like i actually still have my copy of the oh dvds of that which i bought from matt and jay at their apartment who i visited in toronto so like for me this is like a deep ancestral memory yeah. uh, of good times poor but memory that said the show really holds up um, nice Maybe I'll force you guys at some point to watch it. <laughs> yeah, that's the big thing I watched. The rewatched for a millionth time. <laughs> yeah, this is probably like my eighth rewatch. Uh, Lydia, what have you been watching that isn't Nirvana? Um, ugh, I watched Halloween Kills. Oh yeah. Oh no. Why? The second in the. Yeah, the second in the new trilogy of halloween movies oh it's a trilogy uh, oh yeah oh yeah oh put halloween this thing to bed. halloween kills and then whatever the fuck the third one's gonna halloween be resurrects um dead and buried no they already did halloween resurrection it had busta rhymes in it and it was also terrible but in a that much a more fun way right no. was that the rebs up no he would he did no. h2o halloween one and halloween two are the rob zombie movies h2o is not a rob zombie movie and no? it fucking slaps that is sinful to like Which... equate that with the rob zombie movie H2O one and two were like the uh it's amazing yeah, that one that one's fine. I'm trying to remember which ones he did. One and two were the remakes that were done in like the early thousands, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Two thousand eight, I think. Two thousand seven. So how'd you like feel that. about this one? <laughs> uh th these are the Danny McBrides. Uh Danny McBride movies. Oh god, they fucking suck so bad. Um <laughs> So Halloween, when they came out a couple years back, the Danny McBride Halloween. Even though they just called it Halloween, 
with nothing else behind the name, it is supposed to be a direct sequel to mm-hmm. the first Halloween movie. So it's ignoring all other sequels, but it's uh. still just called Halloween, which is fucking aggravating. So you have 1978 John Carpenter Halloween, and then you have this Danny McBride piece of shit from 2017 or whatever the fuck it came out. <laughs> you didn't like that one? <laughs> but they're both just called Halloween. Look, as a podcaster, the the scream of joy I felt within my soul when they killed off those fucking podcasters, <laughs> only good part of that movie. Um, really? Self-insert it. <laughs> so... You've got you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, Leslie Mann is playing her daughter, and then you have Leslie Mann's daughter. So you've got three generations of Strode women as your like mm-hmm. final girls. Laurie Strode, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, is you know in that first movie a fucking nutcase shut in waiting for Michael yeah. to get out again to exe- so that she can like end it all. And then her daughter is like distanced from her because she's a fucking psycho. And then the granddaughter still loves her grandma. Anyway, Michael gets out inevitably as he always does. <laughs> Goes on a rampage. They get him in the basement of the house. They set the house on fire. Halloween Kills starts right where that movie left off. So oh, they're wow. in the back of a pickup truck. Being driven away, yeah. like Laurie Strode's got like a bullet wound in her gut, house is on fire, there's bars everywhere, so he can't get out of the basement that's on fire. Michael gets out. Of course, he's liquid. Because the firefighters go to put out the fire in the house, this house that's supposed to be in the middle of fucking nowhere. Firefighters get there in record time, in like three minutes. Um, <laughs> they're still in the back of the pickup truck and can see the fire trucks rolling up. So they go in. Floor breaks because it's a fire. Michael Myers kills like 15 fucking firefighters. What? Brutally. Gets away. No no smoke inhalation damage. Just, you know, skips on out of there. No big deal. Didn't Michael Myers die by, well, die, die in quotes, by fire in like the original second Halloween movie? Like... Don't yeah, but it doesn't that, matter that doesn't because work? that's not canon. That's not canon. <laughs> I just mean like because this just is a direct work. sequel to the first one. Yeah, but they oh don't know God. that because this is a direct sequel to the first one. So in the Danny. first at the, at the 1978 John Carpenter Halloween, you gotta ignore everything else you know about Halloween. Just go straight to the 1978 John Carpenter Halloween. At the end of that movie, he is reinstitutionalized. The first Halloween by Danny McBride, which is a direct sequel to that, he is still in the institution. And he escapes on a prison transfer from the institution. This forty is, years later, so this forty years is, later. So we're we are we are legitimately magical. talking about like a fifty to sixty year old man, like fifty because he was like ten when he killed all his of sister, the, like yeah. when he killed his family and stuff, and his sister and like tried to kill Laurie Strode. So yeah, this is or no no he was ten when he killed his sister, and then in that Halloween movie he would have been like you know presumably like. 16 to 20 um, in the John Carpenter Halloween movie when he came after Laurie Strode. So he's like a 60-year-old man in the Danny McBride Halloween and in Halloween Kills. This is, we're talking about a 60-year-old man, no issues with smoke inhalation, just rocking up out there, <laughs> with limber killing fuck, a bunch of fighting like, firefighters. <laughs> yeah, like 15 <laughs> firefighters. MBD. Those guys are Which, supposed I to be mean, strong. Fine, fine. There is a level of like 
you know, suspension of disbelief you have to give for, for a slasher movie. This is consistent. Fine. But basically in this movie, Laurie Strode spends the entire time in a hospital bed bitching about how Michael Myers is still alive and they need to murder him. <laughs> Leslie Mann does nothing. Worthless for such a great actress. And I guess you're supposed to give a shit about the granddaughter, but honestly, like, she's kind of, like, effectively quite annoying and just gets in the way. You've got Anthony Michael Hall up in this bitch, who was the nerdy kid Brian from The Breakfast Club, mm. who is now a beefcake of a man at the ripe old age of like 55 wow oh he's a beef lord he's a he's a large man now yes he's quite broad so anyway he's out for vengeance because he was like a little boy and michael myers almost killed him when he was out fucking trick-or-treating or some shit i don't know but they're all at the hospital rooting for Lori, and i guess they're all assuming that michael myers is going to come there um but we we have to remember that like halloween and halloween kills are happening like right after each other. So this is over the course of like a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, basically. The fire. Because well, he only does it on Halloween. Yeah, but he gets out of the prison transfer thing like the day before Halloween or something or the night before gotcha, Halloween. Yeah. Um, so this is like, this is a two day period. This man has killed like probably 50 people. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> insane. When you factor in all the firefighters that he brutally murdered. Oh my God. <laughs> but other, other like, other prisoners from like this like institution for the criminally insane also escaped in like the bus crash that Michael escaped from. So one of these prisoners, this is a spoiler. I don't give a shit because this movie's fucking garbage. But um, yeah, no, one of these it. prisoners shows up at the hospital and he's just this like awkward, not dangerous, like mentally unstable, very sad man. And they're all like, that's definitely Michael Myers. He's like a solid foot and a half shorter than Michael Myers, shivering, crying. <laughs> so this angry, like Frankenstein-esque mob with their pitchforks and guns starts chasing him through the hospital. The only thing in this entire movie that Leslie Mann actually does is like try to save him by locking him in a hallway so they can't get to him and try and convince them that like this is very clearly just a mentally ill man and not Michael Myers look at him he looks like a chihuahua mob mentality they don't listen they try and break down the doors in this is in the hospital it's like the fourth floor of the hospital there's like 50 or 60 people trying to murder a man so this mentally ill sad old man just like grabs a fire extinguisher breaks one of the windows and jumps 50 feet to his death holy fuck danny mcbride why yeah so what? Yeah, like, let me save you some time. <laughs> Do not watch this movie. It is garbage. It, that's so. I'm it's I'm terrible. guessing this is like the first thirty minutes you've just described. Uh, because like probably we're probably around the halfway point. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. They also retread a few of the kills from the first movie, so you just like have to see them happen again. Oh, cool. Or, like, see okay. their bodies again. And I'm like, I get that this is all on the same day, but, like, eh, we already saw this dead kid. I don't really care about him anymore. Oh, cool. <laughs> we, saw, we saw this dumb nerd die, like, two years ago. I don't what? care to see this again. Yeah. So, so like, a lot of these slashers, well, you, you mentioned X as a great example, but, like, a lot of them try to be, like... Like, there's a thing that the guy is killing, right? Uh, Jason kills young people because 
uh, he was robbed of his youth when he was a kid, right? Like, no, he is... he kills he kills like the young sexy camp counselors because he yeah. like blames them for his death and his mother's death because the camp camp counselors weren't paying attention to him, so yeah. he drowned in the lake and died. So and they weren't paying so attention why is Michael... because they were all sexy whores. So Michael only wants to kill uh, his uh, um, babysitters or... was like the original premise. Michael Myers oh, went after okay. babysitters. So he killed his sister. His sister was his babysitter. Yeah. And then when he got and out so, of the like juvenile institution, he started killing just babysitters. And in that first so, movie, Laurie Strode was just another babysitter. They weren't actually related. In like the original and so canon, now he's just finishing they weren't it. related. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so she was like so the one that got away. Oh, it's like a romance. Okay. And and Yeah. Does the movie even attempt to get better from there? From killing a, yeah. an innocent... Okay. No. <laughs> no. Oh. No. Yeah, the, the like one cop that you're like kind of rooting for because he knew Lori when she was young and was like attacked. They gave him like this like retroactive backstory that he's like kind of a lying piece of shit and accidentally murdered his partner and then blamed it on Michael Myers so that he wouldn't go to prison. And it's like, cool. So like everybody's just like morally repugnant in this, in this film. So there's like nobody worth rooting for. Uh, Except for like, I guess Leslie Mann who has five scenes in this two out, two and a half hour movie. This, this sounds, uh, this sounds like, it's Th- this, not good. this is a movie. This is a movie that couldn't have died on the cutting room floor. This movie was just dead from the get go, by the sounds it of it. It felt like they took all of the like scenes from like the script of that first movie that they couldn't fit into that first movie and just like snapped them together into a sequel. Uh, like that's how so it felt. It's expedient. They're just trying to save a couple bucks. It really that's... felt like they wrote like one big six seven hour script and just chopped it into three movies like that's what this is feeling like so you got your first movie we've got our second movie and we're gonna get a third that's like gonna close it out and presumably give us the new final girl of like the granddaughter Mm. i wonder so this doesn't sound like there's anything redeeming about i get either the first or this one but like I wonder if the experience will be better if you could watch all like if if once all three are out if they could be watched end to end not like you I can't fix you can't fix a dead thing it. but like yeah maybe that's what they were I going d- I for I doubt it because I don't even think like just on a basic like like slasher level the kills are not fun enough like at least with X while I will admit it's a slow burn and not a traditional slasher film the kills you do get have that same fun gory over the top kind of energy and these like you kind of get that but it's it's almost like they're it's somewhere between like the original fun campiness of a slasher movie and then like the like shitty takes itself too seriously rob zombie version it's like somewhere (laughs) in the middle there where it's like trying to be esoteric and fucking like cool and shit and it's just like not doing it Mm. Anyway, I don't recommend this, like, steaming pile of shit of a movie. (laughs) Aww. Um, Coming from the horror movie aficionado. Hey, no, if if you're not going to recommend it, no one should watch it. And, like, look, now that I'm saying this is a good reason to like or dislike slasher films, but, like, the one thing we all come to expect from a slasher film is at least, like, a little bit of tits out. You're not getting (laughs) that in this movie. 
Wow. No tits so out, like, no so like thumbs even, up. Even, even for like the I'm theater fare, like not even for like the 12 bucks that you'd have to pay at the theater, this is not even worth a single breast. <laughs> no. That's okay. embarrassing. I don't what's think the so. R, what's the R rating the for? One, the first one you get some like... Some like gyrating, you get some like dry humping oh and like God. man nipples. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. That first one, you get oh. like shirtless teenage man and some dry humping, but I don't think you get any actual like tits or side boob or like. I mean, you never get dong, but I don't even think you get butt. Oh. Um, and in this one, fairly certain you're not getting anything even close to. Like dry humping. Danny McBride is trying to classify. He's trying to he's trying to make it classy by No man, lean just, into what the genre is. The this, is a, this is a specific subgenre. Nobody's going into a slasher film being like, Man, I really hope there's a lot of feminism in this picture. Like <laughs> this is I come to slashers for the sexual liberation. <laughs> you know, like give the people what they want. Gore, tits. Oh humor. My God. Well, if you can't if you can't do one of those well, at least do a little of the. You can't fuck up nudity. That's the thing, right? You can't fuck that up. Yeah. So you've like, already got the R rating. Just use it. At that point, give us give yeah. us the whole hog. Yeah, just hang dong. Don't be a oh, coward. Oh, that would have been a good segue yeah. into the movie we watched today. But I have one more to go. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do have a I do have a positive note though, which like for this one. So it's like I watched this is one I'm not gonna talk about that much because I, I talked to a bunch of people and, and it's interesting, but nah. But uh I watched Severance on Apple TV, which Lydia let me borrow. And Severance was a good show. I just don't I I've talked about it to people and I just don't have that much I don't feel like I have a strong thing to say about it. It's a cool sci-fi premise where your your brain self when you're in a in the office is different than yourself the memories of yourself outside and shenanigans ensue. It's very cool, surreal, conceptual, worth worth watching. Wait, so I'm I'm sorry, I I'm lost on the premise. So this takes place like modern day mm -hmm. and when you go to work, yep. they do a surgery brain... on you so that your memories at work are completely separated from your memories in real like otherwise. So you're two separate people. You have your work self and your Oh, um, thing. and then it's about the main characters are all the work selves and they just are in a perpetual loop of always being at work and they're like, okay, sorry. Oh, I, that's where yeah, I was lost. How do I get out of there? But of course they're not allowed to leave. So how do you, f <laughs> no, of course not. So, so how do you feel about it? Like, like, does it, it's, it's good, but I, but okay, we're already very far in time and it's not the one I wanted to talk about. It's, but it's very good and interesting and, and worth checking out. The one I watched after, this is the one that shocked me. The one I watched after is a show called Mythic Quest on Apple TV+. And that is about the design team making an MMO, which is clearly just World of Warcraft. <laughs> and it is so, like, it starts off the first season, whatever, it is so fun. Like, just an amazing, vibrant cast. Their personalities are through the roof and so just fun. Uh, the main guy is this, hyper narcissistic he's one of the actors in i think it's always sunny um which you know is a sketchy show but oh is it uh is it is it mac yeah i think so yeah the one who's like the show writer and like one of the the leads yeah he's definitely one of the leads i i don't know their names so i but i think i think that dark it. brown hair he's the womanizer of them he's the super 
Oh, never mind. That's um. Oh God, Dennis? No, oh. not Dennis. Yeah, I yeah, forgot his name. It, it is Mac. I'm pretty sure. But yeah, yeah. Mac, like, Mac is the womanizer. Guy. He's yeah. gay. But anyway, so so he's he's an arrogant prick. He's he's the creator, and you know, Mythic Quest is his baby and all stuff. And he just like treats everyone like shit, and is just like funny about it. And somehow he's a charming asshole. I don't know how he does it, but he's like people respect that I have vision, and then he's like now do my work. Um, but you know, and things. And then the the other main character is Poppy, and she is the technical lead, and she's just sick of taking his shit. And she's like, I'm a woman in the industry. I'm doing my fucking like I'm making my shovel. I'm making my cool game design mechanic. It's not just going to be another beefcake man hero that's just killing things with you know, giant swords. And of course her shovels turn into a killing shovel. That's, and then there's like another guy, actually another amazing actor in it is, um, oh my God. What's it from, from community Abed from, community. Oh, he plays, like him. he plays the monetization expert. So he's a total psychopath. Who's only interested in how much money the game can make. And he's just like, he's like swooping in and causing trouble all the time too. And I don't know how it is that all these characters are just like horrible people, but it's like still just so they're so charming and found family esque about it. Hmm. But it is so charming from the start, and it it's the comedy is what really wins you out first. Similar to like Shit's Creek season one, where it's like the comedy is what's really strong. But by season two, and I think it was canceled after season two, or if it's continuing, I'm not sure when the next season's coming out. It was it was pretty well wrapped up at the end of season two, so I was I felt like that was a good ending, but. Season two, I really got that feeling of like, oh my God, these characters are all going on emotional journeys to the point where this is what super shocked me. There's a character who is a writer who's like, you know, 70 years old and he's like a bald man or whatever. And he won a Hugo Award in like the 1970s. And so he's like, I'm the award winning writer of Mythic Quest now. You know, he's like, no one shall question my writing. And they're like, your writing is misogynistic garbage. Like everyone tells him. And he just like goes and just gets drunk in his office all the time and has like no home to go back to. And also, he's just like living a oh life God. here. And you're just like, he's just the, the crazy weird uncle, you know, in of the group that you just sort of ignore. He gets a whole backstory episode and it is touching as fuck in the, it is actually incredible that this episode was made in this second season where it's about him growing up with friends who also wanted to be sci-fi writers and they're all writing together. And I'll give away what's so like cool about it, but things, but basically he meets Isaac Asimov during his tenure and his friends, he under, he knows are better writers than him, but Isaac, he gives Isaac Asimov his manuscript that, that he's been trying to get published. And all his friends are like, it's, you know, you need to write new stuff. Like our stuff is getting published because we've, we've iterated and made good stuff. Yours, you're stuck on this one idea. And so he gets it back from Isaac Asimov and every single line is is etched out and rewritten. And he publishes that story as his book that oh. wins the award. And so his friends, Holy he shit. breaks up with his friends or whatever. And it's about his, this episode is about a flashback and then modern days where he's thinking of reconnecting with them and seeing what happened during the whole thing. And it is so touching. And it goes through the whole flashback of the 70s and this golden era of, of sci-fi and all this stuff. I was just like, what is this show doing? Like, you would never guess from this premise of them making an MMO that they would make an episode like this. And it was, oh, like, it's not like the best show ever. But I mean, like, for a show that you're loving for the laughs and just for the for that found family feeling of just you want to be with these characters forever, then to get like these emotional backstories and stuff, it's like filmed during the pandemic, too, by the way. Like, <laughs> oh my God. mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. I think that's why he possibly got the longest 
uh, or the biggest backstory episode because he had just been an iPad screen the whole um, season because he was the one who was most in danger during the pandemic. So everyone else just took tests and then they all filmed together. But he just came in the show still like he was just an iPad uh, for that season. Mm -hmm. So then they gave him this really cool whole episode when the restrictions lifted or when it was more safe. Joseph, um, uh, have you watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Well, that's what I was saying. Not, not really, since I barely know what the characters' names are. Okay. I was going to say, uh, Rob McElhenney, he's the guy who plays Mac in It's Always Sunny. He, I, th- I think he's the lead mm-hmm. in this, too, because he's the writer. I, I think it, it's kind of funny. You've just described, like, bizarro world It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, it's, it's found family. Everyone's garbage. There's somehow endearing moments for these irredeemable pieces of trash. I, yeah. I I don't I, I can't I'm not gonna tell I you to go watch it's always sunny because there's like, like yeah, I do like watching some always sunny like when I see it on TV my problem with it is just yeah. that the the politics and it do feel like it's so man verse politics sort of stuff like gross misogynist and I know that they're lampshading it and doing all this stuff but it like feels weird whereas Mythic Quest even though it's all mostly asshole characters they do really spice it up with there's a lot of hmm. women of color in it there's a lot of other characters who are put in it to level out the super asshole male leads, which helps lampshade them further as like, it's very clear that they're awful people. It's just like, they're also, they have their place. Lydia and I both made knowing faces to each other because that's the funny thing about it's always sunny is like, Oh, they do. They do social commentary so sneakily. When when they when they when they do, and then there's a couple episodes where they go like fully overt. They're just like, no, we're gonna say it out loud. There's an episode. It's it's one of my favorites. It's the gang turns black, oh and it's uh, you would you would see you'd see this title card pull up, and you'd be like, oh fuck, this is one of those shows. And then it's a it's a beautiful episode about how blind America is to to like the the different social classes and specifically uh, to racism but it does so by basically doing all the talking points that racists would make um cuz all the characters are garbage they do they do the same a few times uh it's it's rarer in in it's always sunny cuz they're all irredeemable pieces of garbage but uh oh man no it- it's always sunny really just feels like the like next progression of of like seinfeld and mm-hmm. like the larry david show and curb your enthusiasm like yeah it's always sunny is really like iterating on what they did there and just taking it to yeah. like the next natural progression of problematic characters yeah they often push it to the degree where you're like these guys are going to get canceled right but at by the end of the heavily political episodes like they always manage to pull it off and say like no like that stuff's shit that stuff's bad. Like much of uh, much of that, um, Rob McElhenney, uh, he's the he's the lead. I'm guessing in Mythic Quest. He's also one of the leads in It's Always Sunny. And basically, from season one to I think season like twelve, the joke is that he like really wants to be with women, but he's hyper closeted gay. And he, as the show writer and one of the leads, gets an episode where he like comes out, and it's beautiful. <laughs> I'm into that. Yeah, it's like it's it's hilariously done because like he 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 puts on like an interpretive dance show at a prison in front of his adopted father, and like yeah, it's it's yeah, it's just astounding. I yeah, I I, I am interested in watching it. I think one of the other things for me about it is it just reminds me of this question. I saw a post about this recently about like uh, aesthetics, and it's 
I think we've talked about many times before with like Fight Club or uh, Wolf on Wall Street, where it's like, even if you have, or American Psycho, where even if you have a commentary against the thing you're doing, the more the aesthetics of what you're doing matches what people are interested in, they're just going to take the message they want out of it. And so, and I get this too. It's like when I, I don't really love these somewhat for children's media, queer media stuff with the aesthetics where like every, you know, like She-Ra and Steven Universe where everyone is kind of in that queerish space. Like, it's not that I don't like, don't like, it's like, I'm just not just because they're a little bit childish for me, but it's like, I get that like the aesthetics of them, you cannot mistake it for like, be, it couldn't possibly be right wing. Like there's just something about it that things, yeah. whereas those will never speak to people near the center or very rarely speak to people in the center or on the other side, right? They'll never mm -hmm. be interested. And so I just saw a big thing with like Hassan Piker, who's one of the biggest political pundits right now for the left. And he's just like the most manly man, bro-y bro type, but just like super leftist. And I'm like, I'm sure he's speaking to a huge audience, but there is something that frustrates me that the only way to speak to these large audiences is to be the type of person that they're interested in. And, and mm -hmm. always Sunny has always caters that line to me too from what i could see i, I never really got a spot but it's like the assholeness and the gross it's like it really speaks to this center righty type guy where i'm like yeah it might actually convince them of some good things but it also like shouldn't we just be able to make things in the spirit of and 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 represent you know people of color and other and minorities and queer people and all that stuff directly so, yeah you know just, just a that's question. fair I, I think it's I, a good point i still think this i i've seen episodes of the show and i do think it's really funny so like I've just always had this weird tension with it and never, never, never sat down and binged it. I kind of like the idea that those kind of that by using, as, as you kind of said, like by using the aesthetic of the people that you're trying to convince, I like the idea of, of it, uh, especially with like, it's always sunny, uh, not to go too long in the tooth here, but kind of as like a Trojan horse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, uh, I, I don't know this Hassan character, but like. I know for me, I watched, I was introduced to It's Always Sunny and have watched it with like some very old friends who were on like the, the further right end of the political spectrum. And like they weren't in on the joke until there came a point where they could no longer ignore the fact that they were the butt of the mm. joke. Um, so they were just like, haha, it's a funny show about Danny DeVito being a goblin. <laughs> and then there's episodes where like, where like they they literally just take the the soft nerf cushioning off the the bat and they just bonk 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 and it was at that point they're like I love the show so I'm gonna keep watching but I hate that it's political and then yeah. it's like at some point I started to see that they're just like oh yeah they're making really good points that I'm that the internet yeah, I, ruined yeah, me it's on probably a successful strategy but we should uh, we should head into the movie the film we watched the hunt for the wilder people. Um, which is one mm -hmm. that's been on, sort of hovering on the docket for a really long time. But uh, it, yeah, it just came to the fore recently with uh, Taika Waititi sort of in the news a lot recently and Love and, uh, Thor Love and Thunder coming out recently or, or going to come out recently. And um, what he, he did something else very recently that uh, people are paying attention to. Getting. Um, uh, there's a show called Our Flag yes. Means Death, yes, which queer, is like a yeah, big yeah, one yeah. right now. So th that was the thing that signaled it to me and and that's why i extra wanted to watch it uh hunt for the wilder people so we uh we turned that on you warned us Des, that it would be sad and it was <laughs> uh, but it also was so hopeful yeah no i i 
I think you uh you had to leave for a second there at the end, Des, but Lydia and I both said that in the end we were pretty happy with it, I think. Mm-hmm. Lydia? Um do you wanna do you wanna go ahead and give it a give it a summary? Uh I've talked a lot recently. So the... I don't know. Someone else wants to okay. start talking about it. Or if you want to give it a summary, Des, since you liked it. Oh, come on. That's rude, guys. Uh, okay. So movie opens up uh, with our protagonist, uh, Ricky Baker. He is a child delinquent uh, who is also uh, kind of abandoned to the system. Um, he is bouncing from uh, facility to facility, not quite eligible to find a family because of his track record uh, until he is adopted by uh, a, a, like a rural kind of very wholesome older couple who live out in like the like like along the bush in New Zealand and uh, he has a very committed adoptive mother uh, who wants nothing more than to make him feel at home and loved and she's she's just like charming and cute and funny uh, and a very distant uh, detached barely even present uh, father figure who is Sam Neil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lydia and I suspect he's using his real accent for this who who uh, you know he, he kind of like does the hunting and, and maintains the place Ricky kind of pushes back against them because he just wants to be he doesn't know how to accept their love and then slowly as he does learn to accept it uh, his adoptive mother passes away um, in a very jarring uh, instantaneous moment. There's almost there's no lead up. There's no hints. Then then and then immediately it is followed by the funeral and um, uh, Ricky is left with his adoptive father who is ready to forfeit him back to the system for reasons I forgot exactly why. Yeah, Ricky decides he doesn't want to be with his father, his adoptive father. Um, so he runs away and <laughs> causes a bit of a, a an issue for him. Uh, for his adoptive father, who then has to like chase him down into the bush, yeah, it's it's a weird movie, but I love it. It's uh, I, I'm sure you guys will see the same, but it like it comes at you really hard and fast with some like really heartbreaking, like really tender moments, and then immediately flatlines those to beat them like with like Taika Waititi's really awkward, um, really staccato style of comedy. Mm-hmm. How did you guys feel about it? Um. Yeah, I mean, I liked it. It was, it was, it was very sweet and sad. <laughs> I just, I, I'm gonna sound like a dick because I feel like I do this with every Taika Waititi thing that I watch, but like, it is just an up rip off. Like all of his stuff, it is like an homage to something else. Like, it's really well done, but the movie follows the exact same plot structure as the like. Pixar film up. I don't remember up. It's like this older couple, they can't have children, the wife dies, the curmudgeon old man reluctantly accepts or learns to accept the love of a little fat boy and they go on an adventure <laughs> together scout. with a dog and they discover a weird bird and they get hunted down oh, by fuck. people and then they survive this whole adventure and he the little boy gets home but he can't be with the old man so he goes to his new family and then eventually the little boy and the old man get to be together again and have another journey and adventure it's really it's the a, movie up it puts it in stark contrast when you put it, it that is, way i didn't the, realize the plot how is the same but like the i don't know my, my feel the vibes is so different to me like 
Yeah. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, yeah, up is it doesn't have the 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 sharp ups and downs in the way that this movie does, where there's shocking moments. There's I would describe this movie as very much centered on ideas of male trauma and hope and like how there's two different male characters, one from a very young age and, and having a lot of like problems in the adoption system and, and acting out and another older man who you don't know his past, but he, you find out like he's been to jail and he's very curmudgeonly because of what life's thrown at him throughout the years. And they're both unable in a way to connect with people, but they, they are able somehow with relatively little talking or only in very forced situations uh, to start communicating with each other. And this this metaphor of the uh, not metaphor but this use of the haiku in it is like the big moment of that where the boy says he's like I was never able to really express myself but my care workers or someone told me to do this one trick which was that if I couldn't express myself I I would make a haiku about what had happened or how I feel and I would just say that and so that becomes a running trope whenever they're in a really tough situation that the haiku comes back and it's a way to break through that that typical stoic male silence uh, and internalizing of feelings and try to you know reach out into the void to say something to one another and to connect. And I think one of, I was thinking about this of, of movies in general. I think some of the best movies for me are ones where I really connect in the emotional moment that the movie is giving me. Um, I do like a lot of conceptual movies too, but I think at least in recent years, these are the movies that really stick with me where when I'm watching it, I feel this poignant emotional moment. And, and this movie was just mm -hmm. full of them. Like it was so clear that that's what it's tempting to do. The sharpness of the tragedies and then the the movements that, to put the characters in situations where they actually have to bond or or say things. And I mean, to be fair with Up too, Up, many people also say it was very emotionally um hits them really hard. Yeah, I mean, in the first 20 minutes of Up, you see that couple lose their child because she experiences a miscarriage yeah. and then the Disney wife film. dies. I mean, it's Pixar, but yeah. For Pixar film, brilliant. Yeah. Like, and like the little boy, the little fat boy in Up is like only obsessed with this old curmudgeon guy and like trying to like force him into a father figure role because his own father is neglectful and is never around. Mm. Like... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying this isn't a good movie. I actually really liked Hunt for the Wilder People. I just I find this often when I watch Taika Waititi stuff. It's like mm. very clear, direct homages to other things. Like mm. Jojo Rabbit just felt like a Wes Anderson movie that Wes Anderson didn't make. Mm -hmm. Thor: Love and Thunder was like a very clear homage to like 1970s like rock opera like action movies. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Tarantino has made an entire career off of ripping <laughs> off other fucking movies, almost yeah, verbatim. So I mean, whatever, it's fine. It's not. It's not great, but like, there he's adding his own artistic element to it. He's adding his own comedy to it. There's something new that like Taika Waititi is doing with this concept. But, yeah, like, there's a reframing. Yeah, it's it. Th we're not talking about this like it's you know James Cameron making Avatar and calling it something new when we all know it's fucking Pocahontas with blue people. <laughs> like it's it's not yeah. exactly that. It's there is something very like quintessentially New Zealander about it. There's something very specific to Taika Waititi about it, about the energy, mm -hmm. about the comedy, about the stilted awkwardness of the dialogue. But like, 
the basic plot structure mm-hmm. is up. Yeah. I, I kind of, I, I, I've come to, at least in recent years, feel that, like, innovation, I feel, is generally overrated. Whereas, like, iteration on good ideas, or at least just, like, furthering existing dialogues, retreading things that we've kind of abandoned, I, is something that I really cherish. I guess for me, I don't think I've seen Up, but, like, for me, this one, like, it is very familiar. It doesn't really, it doesn't really lie about that, but it... In the ways that it feels familiar, it is where it tricks the viewer into the pitfalls that the movie, I think, is best remembered by. So, like, when the adoptive mother dies, like, that's... I remember, like, we were, when we were watching this live, Joseph, that was, like, a moment where he, uh, Joseph was like, <gasps> like, a, like a big gasp, like, oh my god, I can't believe they did this to me. Because usually, like, usually these movies, like, the lead-up, or at least, um, there's usually a tragic lead-up, or almost like a premonition as to the tragedy that's about to come. And for this movie, as soon as you start to feel like Ricky Baker's being accepted, mm-hmm. the next shot is just dead body. Yeah, I, th- I thought the There's pacing no... on that was, yeah, was, was quite, like, I mean, I understood where the movie was going to some degree, like, once it happened, but I d- did not expect yeah. that moment because it was just like, he was already in a really difficult situation. So when you're starting in this really difficult world, I thought, it, you know, the tragedy had, mm-hmm. was already there. The trauma was already there. So the fact that it adds to that just feels like that's a tough spot to be put in and to try to regain hope from that moment in the movie. Yeah. But when you do tragedy that early in the movie, like it isn't a, a whale, uh, what's called the belly of the whale moment. Like it isn't a fourth act moment. It's a second act. And so that means that like, then you can almost guess that the script is going to go towards hope in the end because you have the really dark yeah. moment at the beginning so then it's going to be okay now we have like a whole act two-ish three-ish of like dealing with the problems and then seeing if there's a way to um get out yeah i think that's for me why why this one stands out it's not like you know this isn't going to be like a best of all times this isn't like one of those movies but it's one of those ones where like it's a feel good that manages to trick you not once or twice, but probably about three times uh, into feeling secure before just rug pulling you uh, into pretty uncomfortable scenario. I think it's. I think for me, it's one of my favorite Taika Waititi's. Uh, I, I I don't like all of his stuff, but this one for me stands out because I think it's where his comedy is best executed, as well as like where he's maybe trying to do his best as a serious storyteller. I think, yeah. Whereas think like, felt like what we do most, in the shadows is just yeah, a joke. It's his most like, auto, I don't know if it's autobiographical, but it feels it's most like personal. Whereas mm. like, I, I also think what we do in the shadows is really, really good. But I think that one is more actually just like super well executed, funny, good. And I'm like, it's probably better overall in some executionary sense, but it doesn't have as much heart. Like the actual depths of what that one's trying to say feels mm-hmm. a little bit, lesser so this one has more to say but i don't think there's any i I can't think of any real problems i had with it but there is a sense of the execution the things feeling a little bit less mature or something i'm not sure how to put it um it feels more of a personal indie project still and doesn't have that sharp polish on every bit the care yeah the characters in this though are great i love the uh the social worker who's like chasing after them the whole time she's hilarious Oh my god! So the humor in this just—it yeah. it really does work for me. I Thor Ragnarok, you know, it's like I—I I, I think it's the best Thor movie, but like, it's not 
my I don't know. I think with that, it's because I don't think the emotional depths of the Marvel universe is that strong. But the comedy in it, I do think it's really good. I think it's a very fresh for the Marvel universe. It was a very fresh movie. But then seeing it put back or seeing it here in a more personally charged or emotionally charged movie, I, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that juxtaposition of that comedy and helping one get through darkness, helping one get through trauma. Hmm. And I thought, um, what's his name? Uh, Sam Neill. Was it? But uh, mm-hmm. yep, I thought his character yeah. was excellently done. Yeah, I thought he, I, I, I really believed him uh, throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're gonna come to a point probably pretty soon where we're, we're like overall we kind of get tired of like this particular style of like movie, the Taika Waititi style, where oh, it's yeah. like very clearly referential, uh, as as Lydia was saying, like very clearly his like it it very much feels like it's for him first but like i think i think the comedy is slowly going to be what kind of draws um narrow his career because like eagle vs shark is i think the first thing i saw from him and i was not of a good mature age to understand like a kind of conceptual like a it's 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 a it's a it's an award show movie i felt but, like, What We Do in the Shadows, Hunt for the Wilder People, Thor Ragnarok, Jojo Rabbit, like, a lot of the things he's done recently, once his name got big, have felt samey. They felt similar. So, like, in a in a nutshell, this movie, I feel like, is, re- is like, really refreshing and kind of, like, a like a unique take. But, like, yeah, it, when, it, when compared to his career, it, it, it does feel like another in a... And I think that's why I I keep likening him to Wes Anderson, because I feel like his Mm -hmm. career is taking a similar trajectory where like Wes Anderson's early films were very different from what was being made at the time. And they felt really like fresh and new and weird and like indie Mm -hmm. and aesthetic. But as you start going through his catalog, it's it's very samey and it just somehow gets sort of concentrated down into a more directed style, but more clearly the same movie iterated over and over again. And that would be my concern when watching Taika Waititi movies, the more he makes, the more like distilled down sameness. I feel like I'm watching if that makes sense. Yeah. Like he's very honest in his, in his work. And unfortunately if, if too much is, is, put out there for you to feast on at some point you're gonna be like i want a new flavor i mm-hmm. i think that's part of it is like all of his work is his very obviously like you said like a wes anderson like a tarantino even like i know i'm a big tarantino guy but when i saw once upon a time in hollywood for me i was like this is just yeah this is just oh, masturbatory yeah. like i, I, I mean, know what i'm gonna get every time the last like decade and a half of tarantino movies have been so masturbatory i like yeah. most of them yeah I he's care. I, I do too I but it, but but like you know it is what it is at some point he did start to realize that he was known for something and he just yeah. played into yeah. it Wes Anderson it, is, I mean yeah, which he became bad. the product Wes Anderson is yeah, funny to yeah, me exactly. because um I was not like this last like two or three movies like I did not care I didn't even watch Isle of Dogs but I know I wouldn't like it very much Royal Tenenbaums and like uh like Hotel Budapest to some degree like there's a couple I really like but like is a last like two or three i just was like it's just samey oh yeah moon moonrise kingdom was not a fan of um it's just because it's samey and whatever's different about it or like whatever changes i'm just like not that interested in but then 
the one I'm just like absolutely in love with came out. So now I'm like, well, you know, things where he did the um the French, French dispatch. dispatch. And I just yeah. uh, I loved I, surprise, I I'm actually surprise. thinking about that movie. Like I actually think about it like once or twice a month. Like I really just the aesthetic, every oh God, it just it's everything to me. But it is the same as his I know other it is, movies. But it's but just it's it, it's set in the right thing. The 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 flashy um mini stories, it just works so well. And I don't know, it says it says some things I like. But anyways, what I was gonna say is I double checked so what his involvement, Taika Watiti's in um Our Flag Meets Seth, because watching the trailer and some clips, the comedy felt very off to me for it or didn't feel Taika at all. And he is an executive producer, but he's not the creator or on like the the editing team. So like I wonder he's not a writer on it. So he stars in it, but I wonder if how much influence he actually had over the comedy or like the writing because it just does not actually feel like a the same sameness that uh, all these like Jojo Rabbit and Ragnarok and um, Hunt for the Wilder People have. Was was Jojo Rabbit was Jojo Raj- Rad, uh, Rabbit an original from him? Or is it based oh, on I something? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Because, like, I swear I swear that, like, in the early 2000s, I read a comic by the same name, but I could be, I could entirely be wrong. No, let me see. Um, Not, not that that should de- detract from his work. I just... Uh... Uh, based upon the book Caging Skies by Christine oh. Lunens, screenplay okay, written by mind. Taika Waititi. Hmm. Huh. Never mind then. Yeah, I think I think his is a fun voice uh, to have out there. But yeah, I I know for me, like I was watching um I was watching the What We Do in the Shadows TV show for quite a while that he directs, and uh, I think I think it's great, and I can see why that might I can see how that would not play for everyone. It it um a lot of the stuff that he has his name on has a similar feel to like the Flight of the Concords TV show from like two thousand like four. Mm. Yeah. Personally, I love it a lot, that. but like I, I know that the really dry delivery, the New Zealand humor, isn't for everyone. It, I, it definitely took me a while to warm up to. I think I've watched What We Do in the Shadows twice, or I've just like replayed it in my head and find it funnier now. But it's definitely one of those movies that has super grown on me. I've never had a chance to, well, either I've never had a chance to watch a TV show, or I don't remember because I was telling Lydia about this, and I'm like, I don't, I can't. But you'd remember the TV show because it's uh, entirely different cast, but same premise. Yeah, I'm only remembering um, one except cast, in the U.S. So the one with I'm remembering the one okay, where yeah. Taika Waititi plays the main character. Then yeah, you that's yeah. the movie. The show has so um, funny. Oh my god, the, sh- the show has uh, two actors who I'd never seen before, or a few actors I haven't seen before. But um, the one that I at least I recognized was um, Matt Barry, who plays um, he he's from the IT crowd. He's like the boss of the yep. company yep. after plays the like, one dies he has some of the funniest lines he, and he with, plays yeah, one vampire. of the vampires and what oh, what's her name like or what's the the name oh, of the joseph this is the tv show oh this isn't no but he's in um yeah in the t matt berry isn't in the movie oh then i maybe i have seen him uh, okay because in okay in the movie so the, what i remember there's a character who plays one of the vampire roommates and he always in his like interview moments he always talks about the monster i forget what it is like the the void the abyss the oh that's the um, monster the beast the beast i the, god the that beast. is so funny oh my god when um, when that's revealed that's um what's his name he's he's half but, of flight of the concord yeah, i thought i thought he's uh, the boss in it crowd isn't he mm-mm. no 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 fuck i'm forgetting his name jermaine uh jermaine yeah 
Clement? Clement? That's the one. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah, so Matt Berry is the boss in the IT crowd. That so fucking funny. Or that movie is so fucking funny. I really think you'd like the show. The first season of the show, I'd say, is, in my my opinion, better than the movie. And I love the movie. Uh, I gotta watch it, but yeah, I'm, I'm in. I'm um, in the vibe now. I'm. I'm in it. I'm just like, I see. This is the thing. Do a it. lot of people watch like funny movies, and they'll like rem- they'll they'll spout out lines from it constantly. I actually rarely do that. I'll maybe have like one line or one like image in my head. What would you the chapter? I didn't even find it that funny when I was watching it. But now, like this, is like ten years later, I still have six or seven of these fucking lines or scenes where I'm just like, it's so funny when I think about it. I'm like. That's so. It's just such a good joke. It's just such a good. The characters and like Taika Waititi's facial expressions in it are just to die for. He's always just like giving you this like I. I'm sorry, man. I. I. I have. They're, they're vampires. They're vampires. Like what? what uh, you know. It's just what it is. What it is. <laughs> he's just so mm-hmm. apologetic and like yeah. he's just like ah you know he sucks the blood he, you know he's 3000 years old i don't know like you know we got to take care of him <laughs> were uh, were you were you not one of those kids in high school who like endlessly quoted monty no, python god of course not i i mean i don't hate i my fun <laughs> is funny but of course was like anti the people who loved monty python i was like god stop fucking how did we ever because you're a contrarian friends. and why just i just hated <laughs> yeah how many people just loved just jizzing over stupid lines from it the rabbit and the the, the i don't know the lines they spouted mm. over the wall okay the one that i did the bridge scene though uh, that i did find funny as shit the the riddles over the bridge or whatever where it's like mm-hmm. the, oh, yeah. yeah what What's yeah your favorite color what is your favorite color <laughs> yeah fuck i was God, that kid that was the whole that whole I, sequence I to... is done perfectly because then with the the person who then knows the 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 speed of the swallow whatever thing and you're just like oh mm. <laughs> like I, yeah <sighs> so good i i went back and watched some monty python recently and it and it didn't do it for me anymore yeah. but i i'm 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 afraid that taika waititi stuff might treat me the same because mm. because yeah in, in my household we endlessly quote what we, what we do in the shadows nice. yeah uh is that about a wrap for uh hunt for the wilder people then well, would we recommend it? Oh yeah, like it's not. Yeah, it's not the best yeah. movie, but I mean, like it's personal. Yes. It's funny. It's good. Mm. It's accessible. Yeah, I th- Lydia. Um, I think so. Yeah, I like. I think it was good. I enjoyed watching it. Um, yeah. it's, it doesn't it's, break the mold. Yeah, it's not one of my favorite things yeah. I've ever seen, but there's some really funny, like sweet moments. I think mm. it's worth a watch. Yeah, it's accessible. It's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're looking for like yeah, an indie an indie-ish movie, prepare to cry on uh on Netflix, like something just easy to pick up. This is a good choice. Yeah. Why don't you why don't you talk us out? Uh you can find us on Twitter at fanlabspod. Fanslab pod, whatever, you know, you'll find us. And um uh, <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, yeah, and we'd love <laughs> just, to hear from you. We just love, knocked it out of the fucking park. We'd love recommendations. <laughs> we'd love uh, your questions, comments, whatever you want to say. Don't leave hate comments, though. You know, you know the drill. And uh, or do I mean free speech? Find whatever. me on Twitter and send care. me the hate. I don't give a fuck. Give us a review. Hit that like button. You know, whatever your social media does for the podcast. Follow us on LinkedIn. Oh, follow God. us on Podbean. Follow us on OnlyFans. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, we prefer, Instagram. Yeah, we prefer LinkedIn connections mostly. 
Yeah, y'all are going on my resume. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Later.